Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show that is brought to you by Levi Solicitors. You can get that 10% discount on your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. I'm Dan Moylan. Hello. Michael Normanson's with me. Hello. So is Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. You can get all our podcasts ad-free with early access to the match ball as well as part of TSB Plus, our new subscription package. It includes a daily email and full digital sub, and we've got merch discounts launching next week. Plenty to go at, so head to thesquareball.net forward slash plus if you fancy that. Do we have to talk about this again? Football? I feel very jaded and cynical and, and sad with the world, and I hate football again now after that. VAR shambles against Crystal Palace at the weekend. And there was a lot more to that game than just the VAR, but that's the thing that's kind of stuck with us, isn't it? I think after the Villa game, I raised the possibility that this might be as good as it gets. And I was right. <laughs> Great. So uh, that's that, is it then? We're done with the season? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's uh, let's be happy with 15th and, and just get on with it. Stop I the count. Stop the count. 4-1 defeat every match? Probably. Yeah, I'm sure we had some... Our last relegation from the Premier League. I'm sure we had some memorable four ones, didn't we? I seem to remember there being being some thrown in there. Uh, yeah, it's going that way again. So um, <laughs> it's not shut the club down. Thank Bielsa for the work he did, but tell him it was all in vain. And um, we'll just move on. It has been a tough week, given the Leicester result kicked it off, and then we ended it with that at Palace. Thankfully, we got it all out of the way in one week because you would hope that going forward things are not quite as bleak as it's been this week. But we're going to get a few of these in the Premier League, aren't we? A few? Just a few. I think we are, but I don't think anyone expected it to be against Palace. That was the bit that maybe hurt. I think Leicester we could accept, accept a bit more because they've they've been a decent team for a while now. They seem to have some very talented players in there. Palace, it didn't feel like a team that would punish us in quite such a harsh way. Do you think we've been naive? Are we too attacking, Moscow? All right, Gabby on Lahore. No, are we? I mean, seriously, because we've struggled a little bit against teams that have hit us on the counter and... Maybe Gabby is spitting some truth rhymes. I don't know. Well, I don't know what else we were supposed to do at 3-1 down going into the second half at Palace apart from attack them to try and get back in the game unless he wanted a good old Steve Nicol shut up shop, see out a tidy, efficient 3-1 defeat and be happy. There's no other option and we only uh, suffered on the counter-attack once. So not a problem. And it was interesting. Both these results were just that little bit harsher than they needed to be The the VAR stuff at Palace's overshadowed the the click penalty, which probably was, but it just felt Leicester didn't need that fourth goal. 
3-1 would have been fine and everybody would have felt just a tiny percentage better. And then this match, it was interesting uh, listening to Roy Hodgson because Marcelo Bielsa doesn't like barely speaks at the moment, but Hodgson pointed out Eze's free kick. No goalkeeper is ever saving that. And the deflected own goal, he seemed to think no chance for Melier on that either. And I would agree. It was funny watching that ball come across. I'd described it in my report as a, an optical illusion. It didn't seem to have, the deflection didn't seem to have altered its path. Until, you, mean, you mean the Costa one, yeah? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Until the, the last minute when it went, it suddenly swerved and went past him and he'd positioned himself right for the crossing. You know, that kind of look has just gone against us all week. But that goal didn't necessarily come about as a consequence of us attacking Crystal Palace too much. And if mm-hmm. Mike Dean wasn't an idiot, it would have been 1-1 or 2-2. And it's a different game under those circumstances. On the attacking stuff as well, I do look at the Premier League table and you can see like Burnley and Brighton down there as well, who are teams who've been... I mean, Brighton have, have improved a little bit attacking-wise from the Chris Hewitt days, but they're still have been generally a very defensive team in the Premier League and they're both years into being in the Premier League now and they're still playing like that and it feels like you either if you go down that route you're kind of stuck there forever almost until you get into the uh, like a Mourinho type manager who can be defensive but has some of the best players in the world so can get around it whereas I feel like Bielsa is trying to build something which he's trying to get a style of play which can work for this season and next season and the season after when hopefully we do build on our squad and have better players it's a way of setting a style rather than just going well let's defend for now and maybe at some point we'll change but it never does change like Stoke eventually got Mark Hughes in but under Tony Pulis they would have played that way forever and would have finished probably 14th forever which maybe is fine for some people but it's really really boring so I I have no objections to us having a go Mm. Sean Dyche is naive defends too much and they get beaten he needs to wake up (laughs) <laughs> I was just playing devil's advocate when I asked because I would much rather watch this than watch what Palace are serving up every other week it's dead interesting we'll get onto propaganda in the comments from the Palace fans in a minute or two but they kind of touch on this but to go back to the Costa goal you're right because I, I sat and properly re-watched these goals and a phrase I've used a lot in recent weeks is fine margins and and that is a perfect example of sometimes when things don't quite go for you or you have a number of these things all come up in one game you feel a little bit hard done by and it's the difference between winning and losing and suddenly us coming back into the game is dismissed as a hope and before you know it, you're 3-4-1 down or whatever because that cost our own goal. It's mental, isn't it? When you look at how far back it was, it was almost parallel with the six-yard line that Costa made contact with that ball and diverted it back towards Melier. And if you see the angle that's in line with the um, the goal line, it catches Melier a little bit by surprise. He's almost like, that's what, what, hang, oh, it's in. You can, you can see him processing the thought that that's fine. It's going to hit the side. Oh, no, it's not. It's not going to hit the side net in. It takes a weird spin. I think it, the, the impact of the deflection is disguised until it's pretty much in the net. It's not something you could even reasonably react to because it was impossible after it hit Costa to know where that ball was going to go. So. If it had gone where it was supposed to go, if it had gone where they tried to put it, Melier was in the right place, it cuts that cross out and nobody has to worry about it. But, you know, same with the, the free kick. When's Eze going to score another free kick that good? Watching back the free kick as well, I'm not 100% sure that was a free kick that led to it either. He looks like he's going down way before, I think it's Cock even puts the challenge in, he's going down. So mm. that felt a bit unfair. And on Meslier, like I think you did get some criticism because I think anything that goes in at a goalkeeper's near post, you always feel like they should save. But 
that's not where the ball was meant to be going. So yeah. I mean, it was stood. It, it was stood three. It was, a bit. it was three yards off his line at the time. So you're talking about not just physically changing your body shape, but mentally as well. You're preparing for that to come back across goal, aren't you? And then maybe be diving outwards or something like that, or going at the striker's feet, but not having something suddenly spinning at your near post. It's it's not supposed to happen, is it? Yeah, it wasn't caught out by the striker. He was caught out by deflection. So I think some of the criticism he got was a little bit unfair. He's had better games for us, but he's a child and he's done really well so far. So let's be nice to him. Interesting comments from Eze talking about coming up against the one-on-one system having done that at QPR before that it gave him a little bit of an insight into what was coming and uh, he cited their ability to have players who like one-on-ones he cited their ability to go past people as one of the reasons why they succeeded against us do you think there's anything in that the old one-on-one system because it's not very fashionable at the minute when most teams seem to play zonally I mean I know this is real football talk here so it's drawn a few blank looks but you know go with it I suppose there's something in it I didn't expect Eze to play in this game necessarily because he's not been a starter for them and maybe that's why he was why he was put in there I suppose we did struggle to an extent against him and Zaha I guess but I think I think in, on other days our system overcomes it I think with Calvin Phillips in the team it changes things because he does quite a bit of, of mopping up of danger in when teams are breaking and stuff so I don't know maybe with the fullbacks in normal positions and stuff as well maybe that helps it's, I think it's, it's difficult to judge it on one game Two up front was probably a, a bigger problem from Crystal Palace because that automatically triggers us into three at the back and I'm always a bit uncomfortable about Bielsa having his decision made for him by Roy Hodgson and every time it does happen we we never look at our best I don't think when we do three at the back particularly this time because it meant Stroke um, had to just go and play in midfield there was no question of him dropping in as a, as a centre back and doing that kind of Phillips job it, it, there were points where he's, he's in Crystal Palace's half with the ball at his feet and given he was um, this time last year he was a centre half it's I think he was maybe asking a bit too much of him and it was through the middle that their fourth goal eventually came that's the one time when we did get completely caught our attack broke down and big gap in the middle and and they scored and I think Palace we were worried about Palace before this game because they are set up this way where they've got a real grind of a defence but then going forward, there's a lot of attacking talent. I keep saying I've never really understood as he, and I think it's basically because when I saw him play for against us for QPR the first time, he was doing a, a lot of tricks and a lot of dribbles and it never seemed to come to much. And I was like, oh, well, he's, um, he's Adrian Tavares 2.0, but he seems to be doing a lot better now. Or maybe I just didn't see what he was good at in the first place. And then, you know, Zaha is good. AU decent. Who's their other attacker? They've got another one. There was four of them running at us. It was horrible. They build a really strong defensive base and whereas um, Leicester kind of give it to Jamie Vardy to go and attack us, Crystal Palace come at us with four. And like I say, to to have kept them down to a corner, a direct free kick, a free cone goal, and then one counter-attack that worked isn't that bad. It just we paid for it in lots of other ways. Just when you tot it up, it sounds bad, doesn't it? Mm. I will say though, the 4-1, I mean, I guess the game had gone at this point and we were, again, as you said, Moscow, trying to get back into it. Did you see the shape of the defence when Zaha kind of it broke down the left, acres of space, and he cut inside all the way into the edge of the area? And we had sort of four or five men back at this point, but he still managed to just thread it through to Ayu, who, who put it home. Nobody seemed wanting to, to pick him up and there was a little bit of finger pointing in the aftermath of that. We'd lost the ball in the worst place. It was... I think we were just leaving our half when 
that move broke down. So everybody had just got into their attacking mode. And it is kind of, it's a little bit of a race when Leeds lose the ball. Everybody has to run back and find their marker as quickly as they possibly can. It's kind of like um, a schoolyard game where the teacher blows a whistle and everybody has to go and run to stand next to somebody on the other side of the, the pitch. And it was a question of Leeds couldn't get back into position fast enough. And so they scored a goal. Well, Roy Hodgson thought they deserved it. Are we going to hear from Roy? <laughs> Are we? Um, okay. We play very well. It's important we have a technical win. It's going into baits a bit, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> should have practiced this before. It was important we had the technical discipline that we had, and it was important we we played as well on the ball that we did. We we took the opportunity well, and we were very good value for those four goals. Wins are hard to come by, and when you get one, you have to be happy with that success. Then come down with quick enough, so you start from zero, and next time you take to the field. It is very Bates. It's very Bates, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I, should have, I didn't practice that. I'll come back stronger next time. Yeah, good for the the return match. It's difficult as well because I've I listened to Atletico Mince and he's it can just picture Warhammer. If anyone has listened to it, they will they will know what I mean. I feel I've got a bit of respect for Roy Hodgson overall. I feel like he's, he's stuck around long enough that we have to kind of go out oh, fair enough. He's doing well, really, isn't he? As compared to a lot of older British managers, I feel like Hodgson is a little bit of an exception in that I I don't feel like he's even though his, his style of football is quite traditional and defensive I feel like he's not a dinosaur in the same way as some of them Can you imagine Neil Warnock spending all of the 1980s in Sweden <laughs> wasn't going to happen was it Sauna they had a bloody sauna um, yeah I know what you mean Michael he's uh, he's earned respect through his longevity you're right in saying that I think uh, it's quite interesting because again we'll, we'll do the Palace clips in just a minute but you can tell and there's a subtext there if you listen to their stuff their fans are quite they're quite disillusioned but I think it's <laughs> Because they're in the Premier League and they need to stay in the Premier League, the fact that he's keeping them in the Premier League is kind of the job in itself. It's not very exciting and it's probably a, a real manifestation of, of what the Premier League has become where it's just a race to stay in the whole thing and that's kind of that's your lot. And it touches back on what you were saying before that we've got loftier ambitions than that. That's the thing. If Finishing 15th this year is absolutely fine for us, but finishing 15th for the next five years is absolutely not all right for us. People will be going mental about it and that, that waiting list for season tickets will absolutely disappear and we'll be back in the situation of Allen Road not being full because people will be thinking, I don't want to go and watch us try to draw against Burnley because it's really, really dull. At the moment and over the summer, there's such expectations and excitement that we can be a big a big player again in the Premier League that we need a style of play that can at some someday achieve that. So I don't want to be defensive, mm. although I would like to not lose 4-1. If I mean, those two things could happen together, that would be nice. I mean, look, we're we're over 20% of the way through the season now and we're seven points clear of the relegation zone because that bottom end is really shit. And we're 15th, so ah, we're home, which is nice. We've missed 15th, haven't we? A little bit. And strugglers, Manchester United, just in front of us. But a few notes of caution heading into this international break in that we've only won one in five, shipping a lot of goals, but I can't think of anybody I'd rather have at the helm to address this and get us away from 15th than Marcelo Bielsa because the alternative one place above us is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in 14th I think if you spread our results differently in the season everyone's saying that it's gone well if you'd have put a 4-1 defeat at the start of the season then one in the middle somewhere everyone would be saying we're doing well and we've got a good amount of points and we've had some good performances it's just that they've come there's one after the other that people are starting to panic a bit But and I don't exclude myself from that I am panicking a bit <laughs> but I know I shouldn't be and there are more reasonable people here like Moscow who will tell me everything's fine. Tell um, me everything's fine. 
Well, did you think we were going to go this season unbeaten? No. For a point, I think. I think after we drew with Man City, I thought we're probably going to go on to win this. Um, I mean, one thing is Bamford is still on for his, his 38. We're giving him that first one. So it is still on course to be an extraordinary season from that point of view. But we were going to lose at some point. It is annoying, as you said, it's, it's come with two four ones in a week. feels a little bit extreme and a bit unnecessary, but maybe we'll win 4-1 twice in a week later. And if we do win three out of every eight games, that would be about 14 or 15 wins over the course of the season and we would stay up comfortably um, with change to spare. So I think we've got reason to be optimistic. Let's move on to propaganda now and see what the Palace fans thought. Propaganda is the title of the daily email you get as part of uh, TSB+. It's also where we find out what people have been saying about Leeds, both on this podcast and in Moscow's email. And we had a listen to the Palace podcast, Back of the Nest, you see, because they're called the Eagles, so they live in a a nest. And here's the intro, and you get the impression from the get-go that they're not that keen on Pat Bamford. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. Following a disappointing display against Wolves last time out, many were predicting a tough game for Palace against a lead side who had impressed on their return to the top flight. Never a team to conform to expectations, Palace dominated the game and ran out 4-1 winners with goals from Dan, Eze, Ayu and an own goal from Haida Costa. Some posh little twats scored for Leeds. Some what? Posh little twat. He's not little, is he? He's quite tall, is Pat? It's funny how much everybody hates Pat. I suppose he did play for Palace, didn't he? And he um, um, he cancelled his own loan move. So th- there may be a uh, a residual problem there. I-, I imagine if somebody came to us from... He, ca- he went to them from Chelsea, didn't he? So what's Chelsea's equivalent up here? Huddersfield. So if somebody had come to us from Huddersfield and then cancelled their own loan move and gone back again, we'd probably... It's a bit like Andrew Townsend. Old Fivehead. We haven't mentioned Old Fivehead. Actually, I mind you, we'll come on to him again a little bit later on. Anyway, it seems like Palace have got Bielsa all worked out and apparently Leeds fans have been giving him some stick. I think Leeds haven't really... And it's a criticism I've heard Leeds fans make of, of Bielsa, which almost seems ridiculous, the idea that he might get stick from their fans for getting them into the Premier League and, and playing the way that they do. But, you know, they all say he doesn't have a plan B. He just plays the way he'll play and it either works or it doesn't. And that's his, that's his style. So... Absolutely, it played into our hands, but I don't think we should really be doing a disservice to, to to the players and the management staff here because it wasn't just about how Leeds played. It's about how we just played with so much more drive and intensity and, and, and ambition. First question is, why did they play with more drive and intensity against us than everybody else? That seems unfair, doesn't it? That's the reason why we got out of the championship. Saving themselves. They'll lose. Well, there's an international break now. They'll probably be fine. I was going to say they'll lose like 5-0 next week because they're too tired, but I don't know. Did they play with intensity? It feels like they let us have the ball, largely. and then I mean, possession wars, let's have a look. 65-35, yeah. No plan B? I think they've confused what they think is criticism is actually praise. We're all fine with that. We all know there's no plan B. I don't know anybody who, who still thinks there should be the whole Bielsa needs to play two up front, Bamford and Anketia need to get in the same team stuff. Is long gone. I don't know who they're talking to. Who, who was it that painted the Sistine Chapel? Was it Mike, Michelangelo? Yes. Yeah, it's like going into marching into Michelangelo. You need some uh, some eggshell on that, pal. Not impressed with it. Get some eggshell on it. Hey, Michael, I found a kindred spirit anyway among the Palace fans for you. You think back to Fulham the first day of the season, two seasons ago, Palace schooled them in how to just take your chances, be clinical on the break. 2-0 uh, win. 
Um, and it, it reminded me of that. And I don't usually bet on Palace before a game. I usually bet on the other team just so that it you know, makes it feel slightly better when I get some money out of it. But I just, I just did not see us not getting at least a point, if not three against Leeds, because they would just leave a load of spaces. So I'm hoping that Hodgson will carry on doing that against other teams as well, but who knows. Again, and that's what I was talking about, the subtext of hopefully Hodgson will carry on doing that against other teams. Spoiler alert, he won't. He does what he does, doesn't he? Um, I I mean, I, I was optimistic for the Leicester game, wasn't it? And I've learned from it. So I didn't put money on us, of course, because that'd be ridiculous. I saw a few screenshots of people on Twitter across the weekend of showing, pointing out how Leeds had ruined various bets. And they'll ruin your life if you let them. So don't put any money anywhere near them. <laughs> don't support them. It's, ter- it's a terrible habit. And we did get their thoughts finally on the um, on the VAR goal. And there's a killer line in here as well. So uh, yeah, he got a bit of bit of uh, bit of space in front of him. No one came out to meet him, so he was able to pick a pass for Patrick Bamford, who he signalled for the pass, didn't he? Put his arm out to signal for the pass. Very smart that. Uh, enjoy it there. And it was a good good finish with his with his weaker foot, which was um, hard to see, but. Sadly for the little tiny weasel, his arm was actually judged offside. Uh, and what I've put here in a decision that was extremely funny because it, it really quite was. VA, ha, ha, ha. Hey, <laughs> VA, <laughs> I mean, it is funny when VAR decisions go against a team you dislike or a player you dislike. They're not wrong. Or a weasel you dislike. In fairness to these lads, they were very magnanimous about the, the stupidity of it all. But they were adamant it was offside. There's one of the lads actually says in it, as soon as I saw the first replay, which is in contrast to you, Michael, because you thought, oh, that's fine when you first saw it. He said he saw that first replay and he said, that's going to be given offside. No way. He's, he's on crack if he thinks he's, if he saw that from the first. I don't think anyone saw that initial freeze frame and thought, oh, yeah, a clear offside. Because everyone who's sane would look at the feet and legs of everyone on the picture and think that it was onside, surely. I mean, the thing is, it wasn't actually his pointing hand that was offside, was it? It was his, it was his arm, his upper arm, his shoulder, his armpit that was the actual offside where the line was drawn. But his arm moved into that position because he was pointing, so it's all part of the same thing. I think no point, and it's a goal, but if you don't point, does the pass get played? I've mentioned somewhere else that the uh, if you were to take Click and Bamford's movements, actions, poses, runs, timing, and two freeze frames without Mike Dean's, intervention it would be a coaching manual on how to be an offside trap and they've paid the price for being ace 100 league games for bielsa and phil's writing about that this week on the athletic along with well twitter and football journalists should be a good read the birth of prozone and an analysis of palace in his eyes we'll catch up on that actually we'll find out what phil thought about it later on this week on the phil hay show our podcast with The Athletic. You can read Phil's stuff on The Athletic, loads of other football coverage, sports from around the world. Uh, a quid a week on The Athletic at the moment. Details at theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. We didn't speak about Pablo there in part one. Uh, we have had further updates on that. Uh, we've since had an apology via Instagram regarding throwing his, um, his black armband. It should be said, I think the apology and probably the dissent that was involved, this, this is probably more at the heart of what happened rather than just just kicking a water bottle that it was seen perhaps as a sign of disrespect given the remembrance um, aspect of, of things in the middle of November. Do you think that's why Bielsa dropped him? I don't know. I wouldn't like to speculate on what goes on in Marcelo Bielsa's mind other than to say possibly a bit of both. I think you might have, you know, because Bielsa, he, he attaches a lot of weight to, to things, doesn't he? And maybe he said you were disrespecting 
something that's very important to people in this country. So, um, and then the fact that a lot of people didn't even pick up on it possibly says that it wasn't anywhere near as as serious as as you might believe from that. Like, it's not like he's lobbed it in in aggression at the dugout. It's not Tony Yeboah at Spurs, is it, taking his shirt off and marching down the tunnel. Pablo wasn't happy, but I think a lot of it sailed under the radar for a lot of people. I think most people just noticed it as an annoyance at being substituted. And I think that's probably why Bielsa drops him, because he thought, it's basically a public questioning of his decision, isn't it? Which And not a part of his team ethos that he likes that everyone gets on with everything mm. at all times whereas and, and maybe Pablo has earned the right to, to have an opinion on these things but um, he's not in charge is he so it seems to have all been sorted out anyway I hope I mean you contrast it with Strike at Villa Park getting hooked after after 20 minutes and the camera being tight in on his face for that long walk around the edge at Villa Park and you could see he, he almost wanted to utter some sort of annoyance you could see it in his eyes that he was frustrated and angry at being taken off but managed to contain himself because punishment that way lies got around to the thank you sir thank you for taking me off <laughs> that's the correct decision and I appreciate it and I guess now we all just we move on do we from this there's no beef no no lingering sort of annoyance about any of it ask Bielsa ask Pablo I don't think so I think it'll be fine it's something he's clearly written himself because of the this sort of the English that has been used. So it's it's not um, something that like a PR person has put out. It's something that obviously Pablo has written himself and I imagine he has apologised to Bielsa as well. So it'll all be fine, won't it? <laughs> That's what we're here to speculate on. Yeah, hopefully. I think it will be. I think um, I think so. Probably, yeah. It was, it was just a little testing of the waters, wasn't it? It was that descent as he got taken off and everything's fine. Uh, Victor's happy though with things generally he spoke to BBC Radio Leeds and his ambition is to lead us back into Europe which I don't know about you I'm up for that I mean I, I thought it was going to be this season but he's he's talking it down not the first year perhaps not the second year perhaps where's, not the third where, year where's the ambition Michael that's what I want to know we were up there at the top end of the table Champions League or nothing what's the point otherwise get your big database Victor do sort by value like on Championship Manager and buy all the top ones <laughs> Just keep spending that money until we're brilliant. <laughs> what money, though? What money? Goldfish. Remember the goldfish, Michael? That's how it all goes wrong. It's good to hear someone talking about Europe because I don't think most promoted teams are ballsy enough to say, yes, we do want to get into Europe. They just go, well, I would like to have a year or two here and get relegated again, playing some dismal football and probably with Tony Pulis or Sam Allardyce in charge for a period. We're not doing that. We're saying, yes, let's let's be better than that makes me think of Newcastle. I mean, if you contrast us with them and the fact they've, they haven't yo-yoed because they only were down for a little bit, but they've kind of just got in the Premier League and just, again, seem happy to stay here. You know, if Newcastle's hierarchy was saying these things, their fans would be delighted. And I think, should we be delighted too that they're setting their sights this high? I mean, Orta does flip from, from one extreme to the other. He's talking about Europe this week. Last week, he was saying that if we go down before fans are able to come and watch the team in the Premier League, he will throw himself in the river air. So it's always drama. So I think it, it's, you know, I don't know how much weight to give. Um, maybe he just woke up in a very good mood. So he was thinking, yes, we'll be playing in the Champions League next season. And if he woke up the next day, it's, uh, no, we're going to get relegated and I will drown. So I enjoy the drama. I enjoy that uh, Roy Hodgson had to uh, put up with a face full of water on uh, on. Saturday afternoon, screaming at him that Palace should have put the ball out of play before their second goal, which Hodgson apparently did look 
straight at him, but then said afterwards that he didn't hear anything because he was so concentrated on the game. I think Victor Orta's probably, even if you are focused, is a distraction, <laughs> especially in an empty stadium. No, I, I enjoy his, um, his passion. Leeds United in my life, not in terms of professionally, but in terms of proper life. It's the quote a bit further up, actually, that I liked. Um, this is my goal, referring to getting Leeds back into Europe, but with realistic and ambition, with step by step, which made me immediately segue straight into the Whitney Houston song. But that's a story for a different day. Yeah, it seems um, he's doing all he can to keep himself out of the house, isn't it? He's saying he's, uh, it's his real pride. I can sow myself in the ideas on the pitch, in my ideas outside the pitch, which uh, what, what do we take that to mean exactly? It's, it's quite difficult, isn't it, for, for him to express exactly what he means because English is his second language. I think he means he gets his ideas everywhere, I think, is what he means. But he loves the city and he, he spoke of you know his kids essentially being English kids these days because they've spent more time here than anywhere else. And it seems the club and the city itself and the region has probably really got under his skin, which is one of those things I think we pride ourselves on as Leeds fans. It feels like he's come a long way from everyone hating him because he signed J-Roy Grott. <laughs> who is still our player it's worth mentioning but um, yeah I like Victor he's got a, an infectious kind of enthusiasm to him infectious yes that, that is one way to put it is, is he football's equivalent of herpes <laughs> he just spit a lot <laughs> it's, it's, it's his passion Michael that's his passion um, Bielsa staying forever though which is great so we've got Victor buying players for, for Marcelo Bielsa and keeping him happy you do get the sense there's almost like a kind of an inverse sugar daddy relationship going on there in that Victor just enjoys having Marcelo Bielsa working for him and he gets to buy him nice things, but he's older. It's got to be a dream come true. I've said before that Victor Orta's life is like the best game of football manager he's ever opened and I think um, it must feel like that to him. Will Bielsa still be here then managing when he's 73 like Roy Hodgson is? Well, there's still eight years for that to happen and eight years is a long time in a person's life. Adam Forshaw just returning from injury as he enters the final year of his contract. I, I mean, I'd like him to stay. I don't think, realistically, I don't think anyone expected him to be here this long at the start of it. If someone had said a few years ago that he would still be be here at this point, I, I would have been slightly shocked. So the longer we can keep him, he's a gift, isn't he? One way or another. Let's just try and, let's try not to worry too much about the future because it might stop us enjoying now, I say, as someone who does nothing but worry about the <laughs> The future. <laughs> Perpetually. It's interesting how he said he, his longevity he puts it down to being uh, more a defect rather than a, than a virtue because you don't do other stuff in your life. Sometimes when you are in a job for so long, you become a specialist in that subject and it doesn't let us see there are other things worth seeing, worth doing other than football. Well, I'd dispute that for a start. It should have a word with Warnock. He finds plenty of time to just dick around on a tractor in Cornwall when he, while his, his coaches do the training. Just needs to do it part-time. Toss it off. I suppose that is the question for him is when he's going to do something that isn't football. But he did have that period out of the game after managing Argentina when he went and lived in a monastery and all that kind of stuff. So he has had his breaks, his kind of Guardiola style sabbaticals. And the, the question with him being at Leeds for so long is about him being here longer than he's been at any other club. He'll pretty soon have managed more club games for Leeds than he has for any other club team. But his, his stints in charge of Argentina and uh, Chile as national coach were longer and big fat chunks of time longer than it's been at Leeds. Those are different roles because you're not managing 
um, or coaching a match every week and taking training every day, but I don't particularly imagine Marcelo Bielsa approached them with much less intensity than he approaches a, a club job. So he seems happy. He does say, I mean, it's one thing we wonder about. He says he does give a lot of attention to his family life and his married life. So the wife and kids aren't being completely ignored. They have, uh, a, they have an hour on Zoom weekly. That's more than enough. It's, uh, <laughs> Would you sell for that, Michael? Oh, I'd be a dream, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's his friends and other stuff that he says that um, he's not been doing. And um, he'll get around to them, won't he? I do wonder if maybe like the international manager life is is his dream scenario. Because if you think about it, he used to live on the, the Chile training camp, didn't he? Like uh, for, for long periods. So he's living there with his VHS player. Players only come in once a month, if that, once every two months. Just the amount of time he must have spent on video analysis and perfecting his craft versus doing the annoying bit, which is dealing with those idiotic players and playing games. He must have had a great time. No family there either as well. I, I can't imagine him doing it. He seems so thoroughly into football. I can't imagine him not liking more of it. I can't imagine, like, I, I imagine it probably frustrated him that he couldn't play more games and he'd have some, take the players away for a couple of weeks and get some ideas across, but then they'd all go back to the clubs and by the time he sees them again, they've all been coached differently. And I imagine that's a bit of a frustration for him. I think he, if anything, he probably wants them to play, well, he, with the intensity of training, I think he essentially does make them play a game of football every single day. So more, two games a day, more games, <laughs> three games, just keep doing, keep adding games on till they all collapse. Well, his DNA runs through the club from top to bottom because the under-23s were 3-0 up at Newcastle and then, and then lost 4-3. <laughs> Whoops. Was, I mean, we saw Pablo playing for them the other week. Was Ian Hart making a return in this? Getting skinned at fullback? With, that was 4-3, wasn't it, that game? Am I remembering yeah, that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not ideal, is it? But going 3-0 up's good. Joffy putting his, uh, his pressure on Pablo if Pablo's going to be moody. I'm surprised Gelhart wasn't the one to, uh, to get on the bench, but then... Um, Bielsa did say that Jack Jenkins did not replace Pablo Hernandez on the bench at Crystal Palace, which um, I think cuts that journalist who was asking that question off quite quite quickly. Just made a, a crucial error that meant he couldn't get an answer. But yeah, he seems to be the the golden hope and Sam Greenwood was back on the bench. He'll be, um, if Patrick Bamford can't fucking stay on side, then um, maybe we'll, we'll get a striker who can, a striker with shorter arms. And we've been linked to uh, to Joffy's mate at Wigan, who they didn't manage to secure. Sean McGurk, he's 17 years old, he's a midfielder for Wigan. Rumours of him in January. I know nothing about this child, but uh, he seems like a nice lad. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have another muck in the under-20s, threes? Is the what we got? One? McKinstry and McCarran. McKinstry and McCarran. And McGurk. I don't know. The Mac lads. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tom Pierce. you've got to feel sorry for. I think he he did play a couple of games for Bielsa at first, and uh, and then went to Wigan, and now he's watching. He's probably he's got all these children coming up. Going, oh, Leeds want me. Is it good there? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. You 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 go there, and I'm sure I'll get some wages here eventually. I'm never mind feeling sorry for him. Connor Shognessy, have we still got him? Is that is he our player? I must admit, in searching for news, there was a rumor that we were releasing him, and I thought. This comes as a surprise because I thought didn't, we already had. Didn't that happen? Is he still ours? Where is he? He is still ours. I think he's fallen into the... Um, Phil Hay mentioned, I know you two prefer not to listen to him, but I still pay attention to him, said that he is training with the under-23s, but he's not playing. Whereas Wazim Boy has been cast out, Shocknessy is still around the place, but we don't want him. 
That's the short answer. Wazim Boy, his contract must expire eventually, soon. God. I think it's probably still got next season to go. Yeah, from, I, think, uh, I think it was a four-year deal, wasn't and it? And I bet he enjoyed his promotion bonus as well, which he would have no doubt had in his contract. <laughs> there is one transfer rumour that's sort of milling around a bit at the minute, which is uh, Frederick Alves Ibsen, who is, is Danish, isn't he? He's at Silkborg at the minute. Uh, big rumours that West Ham are about to close a deal on him, but Leeds staging an 11th hour intervention potentially to try and sign him. But I think it was the, the president at Silkborg was saying um, that a deal is in place for him to move in January. I'd be interested to find. I mean, I, I know nothing about this lad, but he's part Danish, part Brazilian. He's eligible for both countries, I believe, which is um, a very glamorous and exotic mix. He's like a Thomas Christensen defender-ish. I know he wasn't Brazilian, but you know, he's a nice mix and he sounds exotic is what I'm saying. Ibsen, the doll's house, is all I'm saying. Is that what it means, is it? Uh, no, that's what he wrote. A doll's house. Ah, let me show my, uh, my, my highbrow cultural uh, knowledge there once again. And no football this week, but we are heading into the international break and the you know, we don't need to spend too much time on it, but Pat Bamford getting a call up for England? Should happen. Hasn't yet, has it? I think they've called Jude Bellingham up instead to as a replacement. Who uh, I know Birmingham City have retired his shirt number and done loads of ridiculous things, so God knows what we'll do now. But yeah, get Bamford in. I've got the top scorers there. It, it's wrong to start with because it says Bamford has scored seven, whereas he's scored eight, which puts him joint level with Vardy and Calvert-Lewin. And Vardy has retired from international football, so it should clearly be Bamford starting for England. Yeah, I think um, Linda Bellingham has, has nobbled Southgate, hasn't she, about getting her son in. I think Bamford's goal would have stood at international level as well, wouldn't it? I can't remember if... Do they use VAR in the in these Nations League matches? It all seems very different. Someone was saying that suddenly the way that they apply the offside stuff in the Champions League, it would have been absolutely fine. So there's another good reason for us to just play in that. And it would be a supreme act of trolling on the part of Gareth Southgate, annoying all these other fans, because we had the, Pal- the Palace fans earlier. Nobody really likes Bamford, do they? He's strange. He's an odd player for everyone to hate, I would say. He's got a reputation as the diver from the... Um, is it just from the Villa thing? I can't remember anything else he's done particularly spectacular for us. There was one afterwards in the Derby playoff semi-final when he went down and Richard Keogh uh, made a big deal over it because that was on TV. Um, I don't even think it was a dive. I think he just went down and it was fine. But it had all the um, the Sky commentators saying, oh, well, he shouldn't have done that given what happened last time. And the whole Aston Villa thing, it gets forgotten that he, uh, he and it's, you know, it's a stupid thing. This is how it ended up with, do you remember um, Marcelo Bielsa miming, punching Salim Lamrani's arm because we saw the footage of it was Hurahane punched Bamford in the stomach, didn't he? And he just stood and t- took it because he has abs of steel. But then when um, the other Villa player, whose name now escapes me, kind of wafted a, a palm Was it El Ghazi? near him. Yeah, he uh, he sank to the floor. Even his interview after the, the Crystal Palace match where he was asked about the goal and the headlines are obviously Bamford slams VAR decision. It says it's ruining football. His, his The way he delivered it was so kind of it's like, I mean... Uh, I've seen it on telling that it's ru- it's ruining the. Oh, I'm, I just don't like it. He's such. He, he's nice. Tell, he's a nice lad, isn't he? He didn't want to say anything bad about anybody, and then he gets all this shit. Gets called a weasel by Crystal Palace fans, and he, he's many things, but he's certainly not a weasel. You couldn't. I mean, you could you make a violin out of weasels' whiskers? You certainly couldn't teach a weasel to play one. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. They're about to kill off pay-per-view. If they'd come to us, an hour three-man panel, our three-man weekly panel, we could have sorted this out from weeks ago, couldn't we, when we fixed the shit show that is the Premier League, because we are back to sort it out, because it's a mess. We all know it's a mess. Better for our presence, because they're always talking about us, and we are here on the podcast on this bit, what's wrong with the Premier League, as the title would suggest, to fix the whole shit show. We're here to to make it a lot better. Uh, So what is wrong with the Premier League this week? As it's the first time we've been shafted by it, VAR in general, but I think particularly the way they've drawn the lines and how there's had to be a debate about whether you should draw an armpit line or a sleeve line and whether or not a freeze frame of a particular shot has we have, been... Have we, we, sorry to interrupt, but we have done VAR before, haven't we, on this segment? But this is more precise. This right. is the lines drawn on, on a VAR offside. I find it particularly offensive, the way they've done it, the way this has been handled and they've, they've had to, to get into such fine details on it. So my solution is just referee games in a real amateurish way. You know, like at Sunday League where yeah, someone's yeah. dad has to do it. Yep. And you have lines from uh, subs from either team and you sometimes don't have corner flags, sometimes don't have a net, sometimes there's no markings on the pitch. Just let it go. Maybe this is what we could do with Robbie Gotts is get him back and get him running the line. Robbie Gotts, he's, he's exactly your man who would be running the line as well. A sub who's not really going to come on, but will do his job well in a diligent way. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, actually, you're absolutely bang on with this because we got really hit up saying Mike Dean's an idiot and you always, you know, the subtext to that is to some of these referees haters, at least with the Sunday League linesman, like the dad or one of the coaches or whatever, or one of the subs, openly biased and he's fine with it. And hung over quite often as well. <laughs> yeah. So it's because the hungover guy goes on the on the bench, doesn't he? A fat hungover man running the line. I, I think it'd make more for more entertaining calls. Levi Solicitors support us on the Squareball podcast. They're on board for all of this season. And with 85 years of legal excellence behind them, they're a leads company that you can trust and they are transparent with their fees. So you know what you're going to pay. They do all sorts of stuff for you and for your business on a personal level. Uh, professional negligence, you've got residential conveyancing. They do wills as well. If you haven't got your will sorted yet, get in touch with Levi's. It's really, really important. As a listener to this show, there's a 10% discount for you as well. So get in touch at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. 
Last bit of the podcast is called Heroes and Villains, and you can guess what we do. We pick a hero and we pick a villain. The first one is the Ken Bates Villainy Award, and Ken Bates gets the first nomination, be it the Chelsea version or one of the other ones from around the world. And obviously it's American election week. We've just seen Joe Biden elected president. But somewhere out in the Midwest, in Casper, Wyoming, Council Ward 2, there is a guy called Kenneth Bates who was a councillor, but is he now? That's the question. Over to you. No. Gamroth and um, Engbritson have prospered in this election. Only 105 write-in votes, so there's not probably the same potential for fraud. That sounds fraudulent to me, does that, mate? Well, I mean... Uh, how, how many? Total votes cast, what's that? 11,801, and you've got 105 that have been written in. So it's Questionable. I mean, I mean, even if we add all of those to Ken's total, he still doesn't get elected, unfortunately. Gamroth um, from uh, the Underworld gets... <laughs> 4,028 votes. Engritson, 3,221. Kenneth Bates, 2,660. So oh. there, were, there were two people elected as well. So he had a, he basically had a two in four chance or a one in two chance, depending on which way you want to, <laughs> you want to look at the, the fractions. Um, and he failed. At least he got the, um, the bronze medal position though, because Edis Allen came fourth with only 1,787 votes. So never mind. So this, uh, this is a clear indication that the residents of Casper have rejected the dog park that he wanted, the kids' indoor park as well. We all know how dreadful a, a child's indoor play area is, one of the, the worst places on the entire earth, and more restaurants on the west side of town. That kind of that desire is gone. The, the residents of Casper uh, Ward 2, not interested. We have heard from, um, thanks to Senor Peel on Twitter, who provided us uh, with a screenshot from the reaction from uh, Kenneth Bates, City Council Ward 2's Facebook page, Obviously, like English people are banned from this. He's, he's geo-locked his page. So I think um, Senor Peel is over in the States and has managed to get access to this. And we've heard from Ken, uh, who's given his, um, what is it, you know, the thing that, that Trump won't do, he won't concede, he's not going to give a speech. Well, Kenneth is beaten. Well, what's my view on the council? And I'll finish my opening year. I love being on the city council. I'm not hearing from the Catholic citizens. Bring your concerns and ideas to council meetings. I love learning about how the city ran and get to meet different department staffs. I'm sorry there's my wardrobe of faith in me. I thought I didn't represent you well enough. That's that's my failure. I hope you get more needed from Councilman Gamroff and Councilwoman Engbreston. That's not that's not the mispronunciation, that's what's written here. I'll be shutting my page down in the next week or two. Thank you. And thanks to Rich the Limey who did some of God's work by saying Maybe if that plan for the hotel worked out, you would have gotten more votes. So thank you very much for that, Rich the Limey, who I hope is a Leeds fan. His page has been shut down for most of us for a long time, so yeah, it's justice done, I think. I mean, he has been on there before saying he likes freedom. He's free to do a lot more stuff now because he's got a lot more time on his hands. Question that flows from this then, is it time to kill off this part of the feature because we're rapidly running out of ideas and this is one well of inspiration that has now completely dried up? I feel like we need a villain of the a villain award still, but maybe Ken doesn't have to be nominated. After all this time, what, ten years of running this feature, we're gonna actually remove Ken Bates as a nominee. I mean the main Ken Bates is nearing death, let's be honest, and not saying a great deal anymore. So it's it's fairly hard to find things to nominate him for. Are you happy to go along with that, Moscow? It's time to give Ken a rest. It seems like he's getting one. He's taking too much advantage of it. If he would stop resting and maybe buy a football club, we can bring him back. <laughs> All right, we'll take that as a yes then all round, that we're, we're happy to, to, to let Ken disappear off into the ether. He did want Sheffield Wednesday before, and they're in a bit of turmoil, aren't they? So maybe he's got one more job in him. 
if if he goes and buys a football club, we'll bring him back. But I think until then, maybe we just need to give him a let him slip away into obscurity. Until then, we'll lay the boot into Mike Dean and VAR instead. I mean, we talked about it then in what's wrong with the Premier League, but it is everything that's wrong with modern football, isn't it? This celebrity refs, computers deciding shit. Victor Orta screaming, I hate modern football repeatedly in the director's box on Saturday. Good on Victor. Wearing his heart on his sleeve. It's what we like to see. He is, of course, right. His sleeve was probably offside. Old Fivehead's been on talk sport defending the decision, though, hasn't he, Andros? Yeah, I mean, he was saying it's offside at the end of the day, which is uh, overlooking the fact there was a defender behind him who didn't have a line drawn for him and the position of the sleeve and all that sort of stuff. Um, and earlier in the year, he was saying, the fact is it's making so many mistakes, we need to get rid of it about VAR. Mm. But this week, it's fine. Apparently. Yeah. Consi- in, in, consistent. That's what we like to see. Just like Andros's career, consistency. In truth, he does start his statement by saying he's not a fan of, of it in general, but then he does also say that this was fine, which I don't think he would think if a man with a head that large really needs to think about this. He could very easily be offside if he's if it tilts in the wrong way. Yeah, he said it was earlier in the year as if it was a long time ago. It was September, six weeks at the most. <laughs> so um he's not really had a, a great deal of evidence to change his mind apart from the fact that this one went his team's way. You mentioned Sheffield Wednesday there. Are we going to chuck the Football League in here? Well, it wasn't the Football League. It was an independent arbitration panel who've reduced the punishment to six points, but I'm quite happy to blame the Football League for it, for the whole thing. But it's their own stupid shit rules. It takes them forever to do anything. Um, and essentially, Sheffield Wednesday have been deducted six points for quite spectacularly breaking some rules and stick, shoveling £60 million of revenue into a year that they shouldn't have done. And they've gone, oh, well, that's what? Two games? £60 million quid? That's all that's worth. I mean, the whole thing has just dragged on for so long. That's the the incredible thing about it. Whenever you you think this is maybe drawn to a close, there's still there's just there's something more about it. And they were founded in 1867. You'd think just close them down now. They've had a good run of it, haven't they? Exactly. There's just always more Sheffield Wednesday stuff coming, and I think maybe just give everybody a break. <laughs> <laughs> Let Ken ever run at it. Maybe get relegated this year, then let Ken have a run it in League One, see what happens. I mean, they are in a potentially really deep hole, aren't they? Because they're <laughs> hilariously not below Derby County at the bottom of of the championship. However, the turmoil of putting a new manager in, it might not work, and they've got a fucking madman in charge. Well, they've got, I mean, we're talking about getting Bates in there. Chancery, um last week was, he came up with the idea that there had been a um, an eight to nine figure sponsorship deal all but done, that was going to run for 10 years. And then the people who were going to give them this sponsorship deal looked on social media and saw what some, a minority of the fans were saying about the way Sheffield Wednesday were run and cancelled it. And that's so, I mean, I, I don't wish to accuse Mr. Chancery of, of saying anything that isn't true, but I don't know how vague, how much more vague Eight to nine figure is quite a big gap. That could be anywhere between. Um, I mean, I can't do the. <laughs> I can't count the figures. You dug yourself into a hole there, haven't you? Anyway, I think he's making that up just to blame the fans. And a ten-year who signs a ten-year sponsorship deal with fucking Sheffield Wednesday? Most of his sponsorship deals are with his own company. So unless he's seen it, some things himself on Twitter and gone, oh, I don't like the sound of this. I mean, it's straight out of the Bates playbook. Is that in fairness? Isn't it the whole? There's, there's a load of money waiting to be invested, but you lot, you fans are the ones ruining it for us. The morons, the sick pots and the dissidents. We've got an Italian name here on the prep sheet. Who's put this on? Who's this guy? Roberto Burioni. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Who is well, he? Well, in the good news about the vaccine and stuff this week, he, he said that 
in football terms, we're 10 minutes into the second half and we're winning 3-0, which just brought back painful memories of us against Cardiff. And my usual pessimism went, oh, okay, so that's not a vaccine that works then. Brilliant. But we got promoted in the end, Michael. Suppose we did. Are you implying that the uh, the responsibility for distributing this vaccine will be given to Dr. Stroik? <laughs> no, it'll be given to Dr. Stan Collymore, who seems to be... I mean, imagine living your life with the intensity of Stan Collymore all the time, dialed up to 11 constantly, because Graham Smith, he wants to beat up Graham Smith in the press room at Ellen Road in front of everybody else, because that's what Stan's like. If he does it on the gantry, we know someone will step in and absolutely fill him in. So, I mean, it's a long time. If you're looking at me, it's a long time since I've been up there. Why is Stan like this? I don't know. I'm, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, but he's he's very, very... Up- and if for anybody who didn't catch this, by the way, so essentially um, Graham had the temerity to make a light-hearted but very slightly barbed um, joke at Stan's expense by quote-tweeting him. Because remember, Colin Moore, he got caught up in some trouble between England fans and Russia fans in Lille in 2016. And he was caught on video roaring the words, journalist, journalist. So people somehow recognised him as a journalist, even though he was there for talk sport. So that doesn't make sense. And in response to Stan's comments about the COVID vaccine, where he's casting a little bit of doubt on it, I think that's fair to say, Graham quote tweeted him and said, scientist, scientist, which is funny. Well done, Graham. And then Stan seemed to just straight up offer him out. Yeah. He does like violence, though, doesn't he? Threatened to beat him up in front of all his friends in the press room is what where Stan pretty much instantly went to with it. Which is where I felt like I was being slightly dragged into it, and it was where you immediately went. I have no interest in watching Stan Collimore and Graham Smith fighting like a pair of dogs. Do I have to? <laughs> Am I given a choice? Now, I mean, I was I didn't tweet anything to do with this. Suddenly, I feel like I'm being dragged into like an underground fight club <laughs> that I can't talk about. We have met Graham once. He's not he's not big, is he? Is he about five eight, five nine, something like that? He's a regular guy, that's what he is. Yeah, but he's got the quiet demeanour of a stone cold killer. I think Stan is in over his head if he takes Smith on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, one of Stan's um tropes that he trots out is that he's a six foot athletic guy and when people meet him in person they very rarely uh question him and all sorts of nonsense. Unrelated to any of this though, but um how tall is Ulrika Johnson? I haven't measured her recently, but oh. we should we should find that. Maybe answer that question next week. Are those all your candidates? Who should we have as the uh, the villain of the week? It's an open goal, this one, isn't it? Mike Dean. Yeah. And your stupid rules and your stupid computer. On to the Andy Hughes Hero Award then. Um, I would like to nominate right up front Gary Monk. Well done, Gary Monk, who's now um, unemployed uh, for the job that he did with the group at Sheffield Wednesday, I suspect. Well, where's his next stop going to be? His next stop of kind of middling but struggling championship clubs. I reckon he's got to be a shoo-in for Derby because Koku hasn't got long, surely. I reckon that's his next stop. I think they, they might struggle to resist giving it to Rooney, I think, at Derby, just because it'll somehow seem like a good idea for them to put an idiot with no managerial experience in charge. So I don't know with Monk. Um, he might have to go further down, I think. I think he might be looking at, at Bradford or somewhere next. He needs somewhere barking. I think it was um, Andy P who writes for the Square Ball, Arctic Reviews on Twitter, who said Sunderland, it'll be top end of League One that will probably be his next port of call because he's running out of clubs in the Championship, so Sunderland will be a likely destination. Sunderland would fit because it's it's mad. His, I mean, his brief interlude at Middlesbrough where, what's the face, Debbie Gibson is a good a good chair, is um, was like the one time he in his managerial career since Swansea when he wasn't just working in a, a madhouse. He seems to... Well, we were all amazed that he, he willingly signed up to work with Massimo Cellino, 
And then as soon as Andrea Rattrizzani comes along, who is actually can dress himself, he's out, wants out of that, landed at, at Middlesbrough. And I think it's telling that it went terribly wrong for him there. And then Birmingham City, who was their owner in jail at the time when he was there, certainly the whole club ended up with a transfer embargo and points deductions. And then where did he think, oh, well, I think I'll do, I'll do a lot better at Sheffield Wednesday. That'll be a, a much calmer job. If he's in a frying pan, he's always looking for a fire, seems to be Gary Monk's problem. And he's always heading in there with a big can of petrol and a job lot of hairspray. Nice payoff for him, though. I mean, will it be? What kind of payoff can you get when the owner of the club is millions of pounds in debt and in a foreign jail? It's got <laughs> to be difficult to try and get your congrat- contractually agreed payoff out of that. Sheffield Wednesday's chairman is, is not in jail and has not committed any crimes, we should probably say. Very no, clearly. But also, Very clearly. But he's just lost... Um, <laughs> Birmingham City's, though, um, has. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, uh, Sheffield Wednesday have just missed out on that one to ten billion pound hundred year sponsorship deal. <laughs> so maybe he'll be offered a, a job driving a, a non-existent taxi for Chancery and <laughs> And if he doesn't like that, he can't have out. Um, speaking of Chancery, I'd also like to nominate him for hero ship for giving us a good laugh by sacking Gary Monk uh, and being a madman in general. Also for admitting in that interview that he did this week that Sheffield Wednesday aren't that big, confirming something we all knew all along. He also said at the same time that he, he doesn't think the playoffs are beyond them. <laughs> so the the whole thing with uh, Chancery is, is the way he does veer from you know, their only options for sponsorship are this mystery company that was going to sponsor them from 10 years. And if it's not them, then it's nobody. And then um, they're not a big club, but they should be promoted to the Premier League, even though they've got a six-point deduction. And he said that they will be aiming for the playoffs while Gary Monk is their manager, and now he's sacked him. It's very inconsistent. He's an interesting character. And when you frame that against, you know, salute badge, could have been a lot worse, couldn't it? Could have been a lot worse. Um, who else would you like to nominate for this week's hero? He's been a villain for a two, three weeks, Michael Appleton, but he played Robbie Gotts this week against Dave Hockaday's former club, Forest Green. Robbie Gotts plays 6-2 win. Simple as that. He Is didn't it? score or assist any of them, but um, he played. That was in the FA Cup, wasn't it? It was. So Robbie Gotts is probably going to win the FA Cup. He might even run the line in the final. <laughs> Uh, who else then? Pat Bamford, of course, he got his uh, his two goals this week. Uh, well done, Pat. Yep, two nice finishes again. Uh, and we will continue to acknowledge them both. And good luck with the England call-up as well. Although that will disappoint, obviously, a lot of the uh, Irish fans, particularly Robbie Keane, will be furious about Pat Bamford playing for England. They'll take that as a personal snub, snub no doubt. He no doubt will. Maybe we'll hear from him in the future. <laughs> uh, any other heroes then? Pfizer, they're a great bunch of lads, aren't they? Big Pharma, are you into Big Pharma, are you? You can't fault, you can't fault their efforts, can you, with this vaccine, I tell you. They've dangled the, uh, the carrot of us maybe playing scum at home in front of a full Ellen Road, haven't they? So, well done for that, but they'll be villains next week when it turns out uh, it makes your eyes drop out or something. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's hope not. Just connected to that and conspiracy theories, did you see that absolutely batshit mental tweet from the um, the bloke who suggested that the fog that we're currently experiencing in some parts of uh, Northern England, which is fairly typical, I would argue, for particularly early mornings in the winter months, suggesting that it was government-created <laughs> fog. 
because uh, these were the areas that the northern towns across England that were most resistant to uh, lockdowns for COVID. So the government are putting out fog to keep us indoors. No doubt they're pumping it out of the 5G masts. I mean, speaking of someone who lives fairly close to Ferry Bridge, Drax and Egborough, this this <laughs> smog is nothing new. No, the classic, uh, the golden triangle of power stations in, in West Yorkshire. The microclimate in Pontefract is long established. It's, it's about eight degrees warmer than the rest of the country. <laughs> <laughs> right back on uh, back on message is that everybody let's give it to Pat yeah again don't know Moscow you hate him the most but I I loved both his goals and I I enjoyed and admired how nice he was about one of them being cruelly snatched away England's Pat Bamford congratulations for being this week's uh, Andy Hughes hero of the week that wraps up this one then 2021 charity calendar is on sale now with all profits to the leeds cancer center please do pick up one of those the squareball.net forward slash calendar and we'll catch you next time bye-bye the square ball podcast Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.